What's happening, everyone? You're tuned into the Founder Hour podcast. I'm your co-host, Pat, and today's guest on the show is Dennis Crowley. Dennis is the co-founder and former CEO of Foursquare, a technology company he founded in 2008 that rose to prominence with the launch of its namesake local search and discovery mobile app, which popularized the concept of real-time location sharing and checking in. What started off as his thesis in his grad school program eventually became a company growing at 1 million users per month. Prior to Foursquare, he founded another company called Dodgeball, which was acquired by Google in 2005. We spoke to Dennis all about his upbringing and being a tinker from a young age, what led him on a path to entrepreneurship, how he felt after Google acquired his first company, some of the challenges he's gone through while building a successful career in tech, the advice he got from Mark Zuckerberg, what he's up to now, and much, much more. We started off by hearing about what Dennis was like as a kid. I don't know. I was like not super nerd, but not super jock, right? Like I didn't really play. Like if you go back even to like elementary school and stuff, like I played baseball, but I wasn't talented. I played soccer, but I wasn't skilled. You know, I was really into video games. I was really into Legos. I was really into like tinkering with with stuff. Like, um, I got a typewriter and I wanted to make, you know, like newspapers and newsletters for school and stuff like that. Um, you know, I got two little kids now and it's cool because like, I I see them kind of tinkering with stuff in the same way. Maybe that's just what little kids do, but I feel like I can kind of play a role in, in directing them towards like this, this stuff that I used to do when I was little, like lots of Legos, lots of like little entrepreneurial projects and stuff. It's super fun. I feel like that's a perfect place to be, not super nerd, not super jock, just sort of in the middle there where you can kind of hang with the nerds and hang with the jocks. And I guess just like, I don't know, it's, it's it sounds like you're fitting in, but it's kind of like, you know, you, you're kind of on your own. You have your own like way of going about things. But I mean, in terms of like being a tinker, I mean, was that something that was just sort of like just came naturally to you or was there someone in your life, like maybe your parents that kind of just put those things in front of you because you should, you know, some sort of knack for it? Yeah, well, my my dad brought home a computer like real real early on. Like I had when every, when other kids had the Atari twenty six hundred, I had the Atari like five hundred or I, can't, I think it was a five. I had a keyboard, right? So you could like type things in, and you couldn't really save anything, but you could type. And so you know, I was playing games and and kind of doing that. And then he brought back like an old DOS computer from work, and you know, like I, I was taking it apart and trying to expand it and find out what's on the inside and. You know, um, when I when I was curious about that stuff, my dad would bring like, oh, here's a guy from work that knows how to put a CD-ROM drive in. Do you want to like learn how to do it? Right. So those those opportunities were kind of presented just through that as like a hobby thing. And, you know, then I started combining like, oh, I liked publishing. Like I had my little like newspaper that I would do on the on the typewriter and then, you know, kind of fell into this world of, of, um, you know, de- desktop publishing, like through like a, it's not even desktop publishing, but it's like, you know, doing, doing layout and stuff. And, um, you know, I, I, I had access to things like AOL and prodigy really early on early online services that got me like connected to the, you know, kind of like a weird corner of the internet. And, you know, I just had kind of a space to, to play with this stuff. Dennis, I know you grew up in Massachusetts and you were born there as well. Um, yep. You know, have your parents always been, uh, you know, from there? Did they immigrate from another country? Give us a little bit about your family background and what were your parents like? Yeah, my, um, you know, my dad's from South Boston and my mom is um, from uh, from High Park, which is High Park in in Boston, like another kind of sub, like direct suburb of Boston, um, and you know they they were both born in the U.S. But my as were my my grandparents, but one generation before that, um, you know, people immigrated over. Um, my dad's side from Ireland, on my mom's side from Poland, and you know there was you know there's like a small bit of like Irish heritage, I guess. But my mom's family takes the Polish stuff pretty pretty seriously. Um, which is, which is, you know, which is great. Um, and you know, my, my, my dad was an entrepreneur. My dad owned his own business. So like I would go, it was an electrical contracting company, you know, like they, they built communication systems for, um, you know, like subways and things like that. And my dad is not a super technical guy. He's a, he's a sales guy. He's a really, really good outgoing, like salesperson, business guy. Um, 
And, you know, I, I would go to the, the office with him and I was like, oh, this is cool. Like my dad is like the boss and he has these like two other co-founders, uh, two other bosses. Right. And so I, I had kind of seen that from an, from an early age, which is certainly like, you know, shaped the way that I think about work as a, as a, as a kid. Um, you know, it wasn't, you know, oh, you go in, you punch in and your boss is really mean to you. You know, it's like, oh, my, my dad is the boss and I see how he treats people and I see what the office is like. And, you know, that was certainly, um, you know, played a, played a role in my understanding of this stuff. Would you say from that age, like you had a pretty clear cut vision that one day you wanted to be like your dad, like have your own company, be an entrepreneur, be your own person, or, or was it just something that you were exposed to, but like you weren't necessarily sure that it was the right life for you based on what you saw? Yeah, I don't think I really understood the entrepreneurial thing until like college and maybe after, after college. I remember like having some angst about um, like, you know, hey, is it my responsibility to take, take over the family business? Even it's not a family business, you know, you have business partners, but just like from right. seeing movies and, t- and stuff, I was like, maybe that's just what you do. And I, I knew I didn't want to do that. And there was never any pressure to do anything like that. Um, of, of course, I kind of I just had that in, in my head on my own. Um, but, you know, like I think me and my this is jumping ahead a little bit. Me and my my co-founder from my first company, Dodgeball, this, this guy, uh, Alex, Alex and I, we were, you know, we were best friends in, in grad school at NYU. And we, we had a moment right, right near graduation where it was an epiphany, like, wait, wait, maybe we're not supposed to get jobs. Maybe we make our own jobs. And I, I didn't really have that kind of epiphany until like I was 25, 26. And, you know, what I've had that without having this experience and without having, you know, um, you know, grown up with the, like, I don't think I even, I, even, I, I recognized my dad as an entrepreneur until around, around that, that time. I was just like, Oh, he's just like the boss, you know? And I think the boss is different than the, like you started the thing. Like you had this idea and you worked on it for many, many years. And it's only in hindsight that I really have like a real appreciation for that stuff. Kind of going back, like you talk about sort of your affinity for like computers and just like, uh, you know, gadgets and things like that. Was that something that you sort of saw like people around you, like friends were also kind of playing around with those things or, or was it again, like kind of more unique to your situation, like your dad being able to bring these things home and actually give you that sort of early exposure to, you know, these like tech new, like technologies and whatnot. Yeah. One of my best friends uh, growing up had a computer at home too. And we kind of, you know, equally nerded out um, over it. And there's kind of this weird Venn diagram of like, I was a real, like a Nintendo nerd. Like I, I just played a lot of Nintendo. I played a lot of Zelda. I played a lot of Super Mario and Metroid and all these other things. And like that, that I, I lived, I was, you know, I was a kid that was on the floor, like drawing maps and, and bookmarking stuff. Like we really nerded out over that. And there's like a, a, a like a Venn diagram of that. And I think people, that found themselves in, in computers as well. And I wasn't doing computers for, for games. I wasn't playing games on computers. I was just like, like kind of pushing at what you could do with it. And, and, you know, you know, communicating with people online and trying to get machines to talk to each each other and stuff. And those two things aren't, aren't like, um, you know, they're not directly related, but, but to me, when I look back in hindsight, like, yeah, I had all this experience, like, you know, b- building and, and playing with Nintendo, which is basically a computer, and then fiddling with the constraints and the boundaries of like a, a real computer, which was, you know, DOS. And I mean, I'm talking like DOS, like it's this big thing, but at the time it was like a complicated thing to try to try to navigate, you know, in early yeah. days of like the text-based internet. Um, and, and I think there's some correlation between having those two experiences in, in parallel. At what point did you realize that, you know, I want to do something that is different from my parents, that's different than from what everybody else wants to do, and that you felt comfortable in that decision. Not only that you knew that you wanted to do it, but that it felt comfortable to you that I'm okay pursuing something that is different than what others are around me are pursuing or what my parents maybe thought I would pursue. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. You know, my, my parents, like my parents were always like super supportive of whatever I wanted to do. You know, like I, um, 
you know, I, I went to college at Syracuse in upstate New York and I was like a communications major. And my dad's like, well, what do you, what do you do with that? What's your job? I'm like, hey, maybe you work I communicate. in a what do you What do you think I do? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's like, it's like, well, what's, he's always like, what, what's your, what's going to be your right. job after? Well, never any pressure <laughs> yeah. or anything. Right. Right. And then, you know, I moved down to New York city and I worked, you know, I, I mean, I, I had internships at like an advertising, at an advertising agency. And I was like, I like this, but I don't love it. And then worked at like an internet company as my, my, my first job. And then I worked at a startup that was building products for, for Palm pilots. Um, and I, I kind of got bit by the product bug, like, wait, 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 you can spend your day making a piece of software, then leave work, go out to a bar and people are using the software while they're at the bar on their Palm. I'm like, this is awesome. Like, this is, this is it. And I want to make the things that people use. And, you know, then I, I eventually got, I got laid off from that job because of the, the dot-com heydays. And then like, I just left the city. I, I moved up to New Hampshire. I was a snowboard instructor for, like, I took my dot-com severance check and I, and I was a snowboard instructor for, you know, for eight months. My parents were never like, what are you doing? You're going to, you're, you're never going to rebound. They're like, you'll figure it out. You know, they were just kind of like really cool about yeah. it. And, Talk to you us know, about like, that. Um, yeah, well, Sorry, I was saying, my mom always had like this kind of awesome, this classic advice of like, just do the things that you you like doing, and eventually stuff just works works out. Would you say like at that time, um, you know, you you get laid off, you you know, you become a snowboard instructor. Like, were you happy? Like, did you feel like you were sort of on the right path, or was it some sort of like quarter life crisis where you're like, I just I'm just gonna do this thing that I feel like I want to do right now, and I have no idea what's coming next, and we'll just take it day by day. I don't know. I was I was miserable and terrified and ashamed when I got laid off, right? Because I was like, here I am, like I'm I'm supposed to be a you know pretty smart dude. Like I built some stuff and I have this job at this cool company, and then you know I got I got laid off, so I didn't have a job, and I, we actually got evicted from our apartment because I had a roommate who wasn't as paying his rent, and then you know I broke up with my girlfriend around the time, and then I was just like in the city, not not doing too much. Actually that, that, that summer was the first we built the prototype of dodgeball, right? Here, here's a tool that helps you connect with all of your friends that also don't have jobs like that. That is, that is, you know, the version one of all the stuff I've ever worked on. Um, and then nine, nine 11 happened a couple months later. And just like, and, and after that, I was like, I'm just out of here. Like there's, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. And that's, it was, I was really kind of depressed for a while um, and I went to, you know, New Hampshire. I was like, I'm just going to do this. This is just kind of a nice break. I needed to take, I just needed a, a reset after the nine 11 stuff and being in New York for a while. And then I, you know, I came back to New York after that and I was pretty energized and I decided to go to grad school at NYU. And, um, and, and that, that introduced me to a whole different set of people that I, I didn't have access to before. And those were, I, I went to art school, right. And I, and I, I had a really, um, you know, I really kind of labored over this because, like, I love that program. I, I got introduced to that program at NYU, and I'm like, am I supposed to go to art school? But I'm like, I'm a business guy, you know? Like, I went to college for communications and stuff. Like, I'm not an artist. But then I kind of let myself go on that journey to art school, and I met all these people I, I would have otherwise never met, including a bunch of other, like, people that grew up playing video games and messing with computers and worked at like business jobs and didn't really love it. And they were really creative and they were trying to figure out what to do. And, and they ended up in the same program, right? Do Alex, my co-founder from Dodgeball, like I met him like day one of NYU. And I was like, I don't know if I belong here. And he's like, I don't know if I belong here either. And I was like, why don't we stick together and see what comes out of it? You know, you fast forward two years and like, you know, we sell our grad school thesis project to Google, which is a cool, as a cool story. Right. But like, you know, there was, there was, there's a ton of uncertainty and like, am I doing the right thing? Should I be in this program? Should I drop out of this program? Or, you know, that, that goes along with it. That like this stuff only makes sense. And I only have confidence in telling the story, like in hindsight, you know? Right. And Dennis, before we get to that grad school project, you know, what you just said resonates with a lot of people in this exact moment, right? You know, we've gone through and still a lot of people are going through this global pandemic you know, that was truly, you know, just, it came out of nowhere. You know, I'm not comparing it to 9-11 whatsoever, but in yeah. their own ways had a lot of similar effects. A lot of uncertainty, uh, you know, happened 
as a result of both of those events. What's going to happen? One, of course, was a security and safety issue. One was a health and safety issue. And, you know, what's going to happen? Jobs, offices, yeah. et cetera, right? Um, a lot of people got laid off. A lot of people lost their jobs. And then on the flip mm-hmm. side, you know, I know a lot of people and we all know a lot of people that took this time as more of a soul searching period and said, shit, life's so short. I could get hit with a virus and die. You know, should I be, you know, building products at Amazon and, you know, being a warehouse operations person for the next 20, 30 years of my life? Answer was no for them. So they're like, you know, screw it. We're just going to sit back and do whatever we're going to do. What is your advice to those people that either lost their jobs or are still soul searching, are still trying to figure out what the next step is? I know depression is a part of that. I know anxiety is a part of that. I know all these thoughts and ideas that you have in your head are a part of that. But from somebody that experienced that and obviously bounced back in a huge way, what do you say to those people? Yeah, I mean, it's like it's um, I think there's just moments in life where you you find like these these reset moments and these moments that kind of bring bring perspective. And, you know, sometimes people go through those individually, like, you know, a, a, someone in your like a close friend passes away or you as an individual get laid off from your from your job or whatever. Um and then I think what happened is like we kind of collectively, like everyone in the world just went through this thing with this global pandemic and it, it makes people just think about the world differently. Um, and like, Hey, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a great thing. Like it's, it's, you know, it's very challenging. There's a lot of people that are struggling to figure out how to get, get through this from like a, I lost my job, a financial point of view, like just kind of their own personal, you know, mental wellness and sanity just from being isolated for so long. Um, you know, but like the, the, I guess the thing to keep in mind is like a lot of the most interesting stuff comes at the tail end of pretty crappy periods. Right. So, um, you know, I think a lot of the work that we were, you know, that I was fortunate to find myself in that really interesting grad program at NYU at the, at the tail, at the, at the rebounding days of New York, trying to come back from nine 11, right. After after the tragedy, like you come back to the city like a year later and you're, you're trying to rebuild, you know, um, you know, if you think about like when, um, you know, the, the recession of like 2007, 2008 and companies starting to come, come out of that period, right? Like Facebook's growth and Twitter's growth and the birth of the, you know, this, this next version of the New York tech ecosystem, the beginning of Foursquare and stuff. Like that, that, that wasn't a super rosy period. That was like, a, well, I don't have a job doing something else. I'm going to do my own thing. Right. And I, and I think when people kind of have that attitude of like, I would rather just work on my own stuff. I'd rather invest in myself and my own time than have this job that I don't love. I think that's when magical things start to happen. But, it, you know, it's also worth saying that like th- those things don't happen unless people have like a, a way of supporting themselves. Like they save some money, like they're in a relationship that's 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 stable that allows someone to take those, those risks. And, you know, this has been a long kind of pretty crappy period with this pandemic and, and people may not have those same type of resources now. Um, so it's, you know, same, but it's different, you know? Yeah. And it's interesting to look at it from obviously like a macro perspective of like what's going on in society and in the world, but also from a micro perspective, like an individual standpoint, you know, whether or not the rest of the world is dealing with the same issues or not. I mean, there are, you know, people who have like low points or at a low point in their life, like you were after you had gotten laid off and you weren't kind of sure what was happening, but you kind of talk about having sort of the idea for dodgeball at the time because you were, you were seeing the opportunity or like, I guess the pain that you were personally dealing with and, and perhaps an opportunity to create something out of that. What was your mindset at the time when it came to like, were you actively looking for a business opportunity or were you actively looking for some sort of pain point to go out and solve um, or did it, did it just sort of come to you like almost serendipitously? Yeah, it, it was, it was the latter, right? Like people, I get asked this question a lot from like people in, in business schools specifically, right? Where they go through like the process of like idea generation and, and product market fit and stuff. And we, we never put a hundred ideas on a whiteboard and said, this is the one. It was more like, I'm just kind of bored. I'm pretty frustrated that I didn't get to meet up with my buddy yesterday. Let me just write a piece of software that the three of us will use so we don't have a misconnection like that. And, you know, this is like a classic, you know, um, you know, build, 
um, build the product to scratch your own itch type of thing. It's like when you build something that you want to use, there's a good chance like your direct friends want to use it. And there's a good chance that like their friends want to use it too. And, you know, that that's what product market fit is. I made something that I wanted. I gave it to you. You wanted it. And then a whole bunch of other people wanted it. That's product market fit. And so that's, that's um, we just kind of stumbled into it. You know, like, the, you know, early dodgeball was like, you know, I was reading that Harry Potter's book, book number three, I think, you know, when the, and I got to the point about the Marauder's map, you know, Harry Potter has a map and the people walking through Hogwarts. And I'm like, gosh, I, I need this map for New York. Like, how are we going to, let's make one of these. Like, oh, how do you make it if you don't have magic? Like, I don't know, just use text messaging. It's pretty shitty, but I bet it will work. You know, and you just build the smallest, scrappiest, crappiest version you can think of. And then you build from there, you know? Yeah, and I, I love this theme of maps. Like, you know, you sort of talk about playing Zelda and just like being like interested in like maps and video games, and then the Mar- Marauders map in Harry Potter, um, which is obviously an incredible piece of product that uh, Harry has to navigate his way through the halls. Um, but uh, I guess in in terms of like, talk to us about you know, you have this idea, you meet your co-founder Alex in grad school, um, and then from what I understand, after you guys launched it, it was like only a couple years until Google came and acquired you guys. How did those two years sort of unfold? Like, how did you even begin to, you know, I guess, be like, this is gonna, this is going to be a business. We're going to create a business, and we have to build the software. We have to go get go get users. Because two years is, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, is really not that long to build a, I guess, quote unquote, successful business. And we'll talk about this because I know you you have your feelings about whether or not that was a successful turnout for the business. But as before, we do tell us about those early days. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it wasn't really two years. It was, um, you know, my grad program was two year was two years long. Alex and I met in the beginning, and we didn't really start seriously working on the dodgeball stuff until, um, you know, like our, our second year there. And then it wasn't, we, you know, he had to write a thesis and it was like, well, let's just do dodgeball for our thesis. The thesis was, um, you know, an exploration of the intersection of location-based services, mobile devices, and, and social software, right? These, all these things were, were new at the time. And, you know, dodgeball was an expression of the, that, those ideas of that thesis. Like, oh, if you put these three things together, cool stuff happens. Like, what's the cool stuff? I don't know. Let's build a prototype and figure it out. Um, and then, you know, because we were kind of, we were in academia, right? We were in grad school. Like we would, we'd go out and you'd speak at these things at an event, like the New York tech meetup or, you know, NYU would put on these conferences or you would speak on behalf of NYU as a graduate of the program or something. And you, you know, we were getting kind of exposure and notoriety for making this thing that was rather interesting. And that's how we got connected with Google. Like it wasn't a fantastic business. I mean, I don't think Dodgeball ever made a, actually we did, we ran one advertising campaign and we made a couple thousand bucks. But, you know, we were like a, the tiniest aqua hire in that, you know, and probably in the history of Google is the two of us. And they just bought us and we went and we said, hey, we'll, we'll work here and we'll try to make cool stuff while we're, while we're at Google. And, you know, it was really early days for Google too. Like they had just gone IPO a couple of months before we had gotten there. And so it was a, it was a really interesting place. It was a whole bunch of people, you know, working on a whole bunch of different stuff. And, you know, it was just kind of the Wild West trying to, trying to fit in. What what was one positive and one negative takeaway from your time at Google? Um, the uh, the easy positive is that you remember I was telling like you know we went to grad school we we just the best part was that we we ne- I never had exposure to those people like these are artists like I don't know any artists now I'm in a program with a hundred super talented artists that work at the intersection of like emerging technology and like crazy you know inter- like um you know, interpretive art, um, experimental art. And so when we went to Google, I was like, I don't really know any engineers. And I was like, these are the world's best engineers. These are the world's, this is like the hardest job to get in the world. I'll get all these people I get to meet here and sit and have lunch with them every single day. And so, you know, when we started Foursquare, the first like 30 people we hired were all of the people that we worked with at Google, just like one, basically our lunch table. It took us like a year and a half to just... (laughs) reproduce our lunch table at Google and, and do it inside of Foursquare HQ. So that was the best thing, just exposure to like these brilliant, brilliant people that have gone through all of this Google training. Um, you know, it's just, that's like a once in a, in a lifetime opportunity. And the, the, the hard part was that like, you know, because Google was, was so wild west at the time, it was just so hard for us to navigate it. And like, I'm just, we were two kids like kind of, you know, plucked out of this art program at NYU with this mandate to do big stuff. And we just, we just didn't know how to do it. You know, we, we didn't know how to, 
how to work inside of a big company, especially one that was like, you know, a, in the New York office, which is a satellite of the the mothership and, you know, remote managers and a crazy hierarchy. It was just like, it wasn't a, it was just, it was, it was challenging, you know, uh, and it took us, we, we didn't really know how to navigate that. I think it was, uh, if I read correctly, it was like a couple of years later where um, you, I think you were at a bar and you found out that Google was going to shut down Dodgeball and the entire project. What yeah. happened? Like, what was, like, how, what was your reaction? Uh, what did you end up doing after that? Well, we, we had already left. Um, we'd already left Google at that point. And, you know, Google's like, hey, we'll, we'll keep this on. You know, there's people still using it. And I was like, okay, that, that's fine. And then, you know, we got, we, it was at my buddy's birthday party where the news kind of spread that they were going to turn it off. And we just, you know, we said the same thing we had said to our friends before. It's like, if Google ever turns it off, we'll make it, we'll make another one. Like this is, we, we made this for you to begin with and then Google bought it. And so it's like, if they take it away from us, we'll go make another one. And, you know, when we made another one, it wasn't, it wasn't meant to be a company. Foursquare wasn't meant to be this big thing that I'd work on for 12 years and employ like, four, you know, 400 people. It was, um, hey, Dodgeball is going to get turned off you know, on March 1st, like, let's get to work and let's make another one. But look at all this cool stuff that we learned along the way. Like, look at all the, the interesting ideas that we had about, you know, game mechanics, like ripped right from video games, right? Um, you know, data powered city guides, which was something we had learned while we were at Google, right? And had exposure to, you know, the, the massive kind of data infrastructure that, that was there. Uh, and then, you know, like the, one of the core theses of, of Foursquare continuing from our work at Dodgeball and NYU was like, you know, let's make cities. Let's make, let's make software that makes cities easier to use. That makes the world feel like easier for people to to grasp. Like it makes it easier to find people, easier to find places, easier to find things. That was just like a. I mean, that still is like that's like the operating system of my heart, right? In my brain, that's that's the stuff that I like to to build. And you know, we just had another. We had that like another shot to to do it, and we just got to work. Yeah, clearly this was something that for a long time, like you were super interested in and perhaps passionate about, and saw like this use case and future for it. Um, did like was it like did Google just not see that, or did they didn't see it the way you saw it? Like obviously, you thought that this was something that you know should be, I guess, bigger than what it was. But like, was there like some sort of disconnect there? No, I mean, I, I think there's people, Google definitely got it. There's tons of social products. There's lots of location products. Was, I mean, Google Maps was a big team at that time. It's just like, it, it's, you're like, you know, we were like a little needle inside of a big haystack and you're just trying to, you know, you're trying to f- figure out how to wield the little influence you have to make your ideas heard. It's just, I mean, it's big, it's big company stuff, right? Like if you talk to people at Google now or Amazon or Twitter or a lot, probably a lot of these companies, like there's always, you know, entrepreneurs that are like lurking in the cubes that have big ideas and they might just never get them built at that company and they have to go leave and make their own thing. Right. And that, that happens over and over and over again. Sometimes I'm sure there's lots of people that just never leave those companies like, oh, well, like no one, my manager didn't like my idea. I guess I'll just sit here and continue to crank out my TPS reports. But then there's other people that are like, no, I feel so strongly about this. I just, I can't sleep at night until this thing exists. I have to go and make that thing. And they'll, they'll leave their job and they'll leave their health insurance and they'll get in an argument with their partner or their parents over it, you know, and, 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 the, you know, some people just have to get that stuff made. So, so what came next? There's a weird, not to, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but like there's a weird intersection that I, I now appreciate from from going to art school, and I don't want to ever like paint myself as an artist because I'm not, but like the 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 itch to create, right? If you have an itch to create, whether like I just have to put these words on paper, I just have to record this song, I just have to m- make this painting, like making software is, is not different than that. It's like, I, I have to, I have to make this thing. I have to see what happens when people use it. I have to see what happens when you use software to bring people together in this way. And, and some people just have that, that itch. And like, you know, you, you know, if you make 10 different products the same way that you'd make like 10 different paintings, like sometimes good, good stuff comes out of that. Sorry. So what came after that? What, what was the thing that you worked on? What was, what were you thinking? At, well, at Foursquare, you mean? After after the dodgeball, after dodgeball had shut down, after you had to move on, what what did you guys decide to build? What did you decide to do? 
Uh, we, we didn't do anything. Like Alex and I got in the elevator that last day and we kind of went our separate ways, right? Like he worked at a, he got a, a job at a design company and I, I took a job with, uh, my buddy was starting a company that was doing like g- games that overlapped with the real world. And it was, you know, it was a group of people I had worked with before, before um, Dodgeball, before, before Google bought it. And so I, I went and worked with those guys for like nine months and then I just kind of, I just kind of got burnt out working at another company. And I just, you know, I think I took like a month off Maybe I took two months off and just kind of, you know, I, I visited my, my, my college roommate li- lived in uh, Sweden. And so I went over there and kind of just bummed around with him for like a month and just kind of hung out. And it, it wasn't, it wasn't until a couple months later that we really got the itch to make something else again, um, which you know, you kind of, you're always thinking like, oh yeah, what am I going to build? What am I going to build? And then we had that sense of urgency when Google said, well, we're going to turn this thing off on, on March 1st. And I was like, well, then we, we have to get to work. Like now we have a deadline. Like this, this thing has to be up and running by this date. And that, you know, a deadline is a really fantastic motivator. Yeah. So, um, I think, uh, I think it was, it was like a matter of like a year or two. I mean, you had already like millions of users on Foursquare four when you started. How did that early on sort of traction start happening? Like, I mean, you build this product, you know, was it just one, two, three, four, five people using it and it just sort of uh, went that way or, or was there more to it? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I had never worked on a project like that before. Like Dodgeball was tens of thousands of users, you know, 50, 60,000 users at, at the most. And I was like, wow, that's a, that's a lot of people. Um, you know, and, you know, Foursquare at the height was growing a million users a month, right? When we had, we had a moment, I call it, you know, we raised our first round, we, we raised a million dollars in September of 2009. And I remember sitting down with Fred Wilson from Union Square Ventures, like, so when are you going to hit a million users? And I'm like, dude, I don't think we're ever going to hit a million users. This is like a tool for nerds in cities. And, you know, I remember, I remember the investors, I mean, when you meet these investors, like they invest in Twitter, Zynga, Tumblr, like they've seen this story a hundred times. Like entrepreneur comes in, has something interesting, doesn't think it's going to grow. They recognize the pattern and it grows, you know, grows. And then, you know, six months later, we're grown by a million years a month. Like, what are we going to do? We never expected this. And of course, like we told you this is going to happen. So what what did we, what did we do? I, I don't know. Right. We just, we, we made something that people liked, right? And we made it. So that's like an oversimplification, you know, a crazy oversimplification. But we, we made a product that was fun and when a lot of products weren't fun. We made something that was playful. We made something that had an opinion, right? Like uh, going to an indie coffee shop is better than going to a Starbucks. Going to new places is better than going to the same old places. You know, trying trying new neighborhoods is better than doing the same old thing. Staying out late. On a school night, having drinks at one in the morning on a Wednesday is cool, right? That was like the software had opinion. It would judge you. Are you cool or are you not cool? And, you know, based on what we thought was cool, based on the rules that we hard coded in. And so that is just not something that software did at the time. And we kind of took a stab at doing that. And, you know, we were trying to, at the same time, you would get little nuggets of information about the city, right? Where? What's interesting? What's cool? What, what, what's better than the place that you're at right now? Where is there a better party to go to? Right. That that was the product, the problem that we solved for people, and we solved it in a way that they hadn't used before. Um, you know, I think Foursquare started in like five cities, and we went up to like twenty or fifty or maybe a hundred cities before our first engineer, this guy named Harry, like spent his his Christmas break, his holiday break, you know, recoding it, recoding the system so like it would work anywhere in the world. You know, I'm like, I don't know, man, this seems like it's a disaster. And then instantly it's just like, bam, like Foursquare works everywhere in the world and everywhere in the world people want to use it. And we were just like, okay, here we go. Like, just hold on and try to keep the servers up and running. And that was us for like four, four months, four months. It was us for like six months, a year, just, just every day waking up, putting out fires, just trying to keep the thing going. It was wild. But when you started this thing, I mean, you had no idea that people would be interested. I mean, you just thought, oh, this is just another thing. Let's see if it works out. You had no clue that it would grow to be what it became. <laughs> Absolutely none. You know, I, I was like, listen, maybe we'll pick up some of the dodgeball users and we'll have 
you know, 10,000, 20,000 people using this thing. And th- th- those are the expectations. I mean, I remember the first time I met Mark Andreessen. This was after after Foursquare was big, after Foursquare was like a, a million users. And, you know, Mark Andreessen, like I had I had his picture hanging on the wall of the dorm room, the guy that invented the Netscape, na- na- the, the browser, the navigator, um, Mosaic, you know, back when I was fir- my freshman year of college, right? And so he's like, how big is the company going to be? And I'm like, oh, well, I, we're going to be 12 people someday. He's like, 12 people? What are you, an idiot? Like, you're going to have 12 people working in customer support in 30 days. And I'm like, no, 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 we don't want to make a big company. He's like, you don't have a choice anymore. Like this thing is growing and you either you know, get get on board or the ship blows up. What do you want to do? And, you know, that was, we, we just didn't have access to those people that had gone through that experience. And so, you know, when you get on one of these rides, you just get access to people you didn't have access to before. Right. And they have lived experiences and stories and advice that you just don't, you didn't have access to before. Just to dive in a little deeper, because there's a lot of people now and, and always that start companies because like you had mentioned, they have a problem that they want to fix or there's a need that they want solved, et cetera. And they put thought and, you know, planning and research into something and they hope that it becomes a company that has millions and tens of millions of users. Right. Why? I mean, I don't want to say that you did this just to like kind of fill in time, but like, if you didn't have that goal early on, why'd you even pursue it? I mean, like, what was your mind state that 10, 20,000 users is going to make me a decent living and I'll move on to the next project, get acquired? Or like, what was the goal when you started working on it and while you were working on it early on? My, my hobby, right? Like, I, I don't know what other people do for hobbies, right? Like, I don't, I can't, I want to be the guy that sits down and plays the new Zelda game for 20 hours straight and beats it. I, I can't do that. Like my hobby is, is making stuff and making, making stuff for people to use and enjoy. Right. And, and Foursquare is a, was started as a hobby. It's like, I want to make something for my friends. I like, you know, like imagine that you like, you, you just want to throw an awesome cookout. Like I want to throw the best cookout and have all my friends come over. Everyone's going to have an awesome Saturday and it's going to be over with. Like that, that's the way that we looked at it. Like we're just going to, we're going to make a piece of software that's just going to be an awesome endless party that you, you use on your phone all the time. I mean, that, that's what it was like my other side projects, right? Like I started a soccer team in the Hudson Valley. Like there's no, you know, it's semi-pro team. There's no money in that. It's just a fun project. It's a ton of work. Like I spend my, my kids go to sleep and I fold t-shirts for the team so I can sell them out of the merch truck. Like it's just a fun project, right? We have like an, another project in the city that makes pickup soccer games out of thin air and people just show up and play in them. And it's, right. I don't know what it's going to turn into, but it's like, it's super fun. People like it. Like I like to make the thing that makes the good times for, for people. You know, so everyone's always asking me, what are you going to do after Foursquare? I'm like, I don't have any idea. I don't have an idea for some like crazy, brilliant enterprise software platform that's going to revolutionize the internet. I have like 20 ideas for things that I think are kind of like fun, things that I want to play with and things that I, I want to show like my five buddies and be like, what do you think? Is this cool or is this stupid? And I'm just going to run the same playbook. And I have no idea if any of this stuff is interesting, if any of it's any good. I just... I just want to do that, you know. I, you know, that, I know that's that's incredible. That's incredible. But one sort of piece I want to sort of um, touch on is, you know, obviously you, we hear it all the time. You know, like pursue your passion, pursue what you love to do, and and hopefully, obviously, something comes out of that where you can make enough money to like actually, you know, live a decent life while continuing to do what you love. But did you ever have any worries, like when you had that mindset of? I just want to create stuff and I don't care what, I mean, not that you didn't care, but I don't know what's going to happen if it even becomes big enough. You know, I just want to keep building things. Like, did you have any worries or thoughts about, you know, what if I should actually be doing something else that I could be making, you know, a decent amount of money to, to live in New York or live here or there? You know? all, all the time, all the time. Right. And I, you know, I still, I have that, I have that anxiety like even today, right? If I try to think about like, what is my post Foursquare life, right? Like, am, do, you know, do I go get a job? I like get a real job as like a, 
executive at some other company or do I just go make some scrappy thing with like a couple random people again? You know, it's like, I, I got, I mean, I got a wife and I got kids and bills and stuff. And like, that's the responsible thing to do. But I, I just don't, I don't have the, the ability to do that. Now, listen, my situation now is different. I've made a bunch of money off of Foursquare, right? I'm in a totally fine financial place. If you go back to the day when I got laid off from Vindigo, right? That Palm Pilot company. I, I mean, I remember walking down the street in New York City with my, talking to my mom on the phone. And being like, Ma, I, I got I lost this job. I can get on unemployment. I, I think I'm gonna get evicted from my apartment. Like, I have no idea. This is before 9-11, I have no idea what to do. And my mom, my mom, I'm I I mean I remember this clear as day. Like her advice is like, go, you know, find the thing that you love to do and you know, and just keep doing that and everything will work itself out. And when you're like broke and you just lost your job, you're like, Mom, that advice sucks. <laughs> like it's just not good, you know, but it because it doesn't help you in that instant. But when you set that as your North star and you're like, well, I'll just figure out something I can do to make some money in the time being, but I want to come back to that thing that I love doing. And that's, you know, that, and that has always been the North star for me, you know, do, do what you love and the rest will come. Like that was, that's her advice. And I've just kept coming back to that North star. I mean, I've had a whole bunch of other crappy jobs in between, like, Making websites I don't care about, you know, do, working consulting jobs for stuff I don't care about. You know, I was a, a snowboard instructor just to, you know, just to get through the season teaching like four-year-olds how to snowboard, right? It wasn't a crazy like, you know, academic pursuit. It was just a way to make money through the winter. Um, you know, and, you know, when before, before Dodgeball got picked up, by Google, right? I was applying for, me and Alex were applying for jobs. He was applying for a job at Razorfish. I was applying for a job at MTV. And then, you know, I think we started this conversation where the same, the same point, like I had this epiphany with Alex and I was like, maybe we're not supposed to go get jobs. Maybe this is our job. Maybe dodgeball is our job. And it just was like, yeah, but how does that even work? And then what mm. we it's like, well, here's here's what we'll do. Let's just pick up crappy freelance work for through the summer. Let's give ourselves the summer to work on this thing. Don't get your full-time job. I won't get a full-time job. We'll work on this thing on the side. And, that, and that's why I just made websites and did freelance stuff and worked out this as a side hustle. And then by the end of the summer, like the thing was go dodgeball was going. Like that, that's like, I mean. I got lucky. Like, this is just luck, right? Like we had made something that was clever. We had worked on it enough. And then I was lucky enough to be, be able to, you know, like, I don't know, scrap along with just freelance jobs. And, and then we got lucky with the acquisition. So like, it's not like I'm some crazy mastermind. Like there's a lot of luck that gets built into it too. Um, but I, you know, the core thing is like, you know, if you, if you got stuff you want to make, just don't ever cut that out of your master plan. Like you should always have that as your North star and find a way to get back to doing it. I'm curious from your perspective, you know, do you think four square was too early, too late, or just right on time? And why? Uh, uh, that's a, it's a great question. It depends what type of, well, you know, what part of Foursquare you're talking about. Like Foursquare has lived, Foursquare is 12 years old almost 13 years old and has yeah. lived a thousand lives, right? I'm talking about the earlier Foursquare, like when you guys first launched it. Well, I mean, it was, it was just right. in the, in the, you know, from the perspective that it went through the, the age of growing by a million users a month. Like we, we, we lived that experience, but we got to like 50 million users and we just couldn't figure out how to monetize it. You know, right. like we weren't big enough to sell big ads like a Twitter or a Snapchat or a Facebook or an Instagram were. Right. And um, it, we, we didn't have enough revenue to, we, we didn't, we, we, we weren't going to build a local sales force because we knew that Yelp was just digging a hole for themselves with that model. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was tough, right? Like it turns out that, you know, data insights, location intelligence, data analytics, geospatial stuff, that's a good business for Foursquare. That that um, that wasn't really clear until like you know 2013 2000 no 
2016, right? 15, 2015. And Foursquare really needed that answer in 2012. So it was like, there's like a three year delta between that. And, you know, really hard years for the company, but like, hey, whatever, we're still around, we're still doing our thing. And it's still, it's, it's a good business, good, profitable business, $100 million a year, you know, more than that. Yeah. And I, and I know um, Foursquare ended up eventually merging with Factual, I think it was last year, but or throughout that time, I mean, I think, I mean, I saw that like you had patented several technologies and you had created this like company out of this product that was clearly working, but you were just not figuring out how to monetize it. Like, did you ever get approached by any companies to, to get it acquired for them to implement it into their own like uh, platforms? Did that ever happen throughout the, those 12 years? Oh, yeah, yeah. We've, had, we've had tons of those conversations. You know, some of them from companies we didn't want to work at. Some, sometimes the, you know, the, the price wasn't right. Um, you know, and, and then sometimes you're just like, listen, we're in the middle of doing something amazing and I just don't want to let it go. Right. Facebook tried to buy us really early on in 2010. And I had spent a lot of time with Mark, with, Zuck, with Mark Zuckerberg at the time. And I ultimately was like, listen, I, I, I made a company before and I sold it to Google and it, I made some money off it and it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't ultimately satisfying for me. You know, like what, what gets me excited is building stuff for people. And I think we have a better shot of doing the building stuff for people if we stay independent. And he's like, okay, I, I understand that. I respect that. And we kind of went our separate ways. But um, you know, that was probably the that was probably the one that we gave the most thought to. And and did you feel like you made the right choice? I guess looking back. Yeah, I mean, like I think we would have made a you know, we made a ton of money had we had sold to Facebook way back then, right? But the same time we wouldn't have built all the stuff that we built. And it, I think it comes down to like, what's important to you, right? If, if the, like, I think I was fortunate enough to, I was very fortunate to live through the Google experience and make, and make, you know, uh, uh, make some money off the, of selling dodgeball to Google enough money to be like, this, this is not the thing that makes me happy, right? The thing that makes me happy is building and building teams and working with people and inventing stuff. That's what I like to do. And, you know, so when, when I had to make that dis decision later on, when the stakes were significantly higher, you know, I, I optimized for like, I'm going to build something awesome. I'm going to build this thing in, you know, build a tech company in New York when that wasn't really a thing that people were doing. And, you know, in hindsight, I look at all the stuff that we've accomplished in terms of, you know, all these people in the history of New York Tech that have worked at Foursquare before. It's kind of this iconic company. We've made lots of interesting technology. Even the consumer stuff, if it didn't succeed in the consumer app, like a lot of the stuff that we invented is is in Google Maps, is in Apple Maps, has been copied by other companies, right? Like we we have played a significant role in this generation of the internet. And that's like, that's a meaningful thing for, for me. Um, so I, I don't have any regrets about that. And for people out there that are, are like you, you know, are just builders, tinkers, they, they just want to continue to build, right? I know um, you've, you've said sort of obviously like at, at a certain point, I think it was like 2016, where you decided to step down as CEO after the company, had, you know, was, you know, millions of users, tens of millions of users, you know, hundreds of employees. You're sort of running this big organization and, um, you know, obviously you you didn't feel comfortable being in that role and you wanted to go back to, I guess, building and working on things. What was what else was kind of going through your mind? Like, or, and I guess like what what should people know that maybe are early on right now, maybe have a small team or still kind of hands on building that they should know about you know a company that's at that level and 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 if they're the right person to lead it, you know? Yeah, I'll tell you that I think the um, you know the best piece of advice I've probably gotten in the in the whole journey was from Mark Zuckerberg, and you know having lunch. You know, it was probably 10 years ago, right? And, um, you know, I was telling him, but I was asking him, like, how do you, like, how is your job structured? And how do you, how do you do this job as CEO? Like, I was trying to, I was struggling to keep up with it. And he's like, well, you have to choose what type of CEO you want to be, right? Like, you can't just be a CEO. You're either the product CEO or the sales CEO or the visionary CEO or the engineering CEO or the, the deal maker CEO, right? You got to be, you got to choose which one you want to be. And then you, hire executives to do all the other stuff. And I was like, oh, I, okay, I'm the, I'm the product CEO. And so I, I run the product team and I spend my days working on product. And I, 
outsource the rest of the, you know, what's normally classified as like CEO job as to, to other people on my team, like CFO and, you know, the, the head of BD and the head of sales. And it, it was just a really fantastic piece of advice because it was totally not non-obvious to me at the time. And, you know, I think the way that translates into, you know, how I end up stepping out of the CEO role is like Foursquare didn't need a product CEO anymore. Foursquare needed like a, a deal maker, a, a business visionary type of CEO, someone that could be like, all right, I see the assets that we have and I can, I can create an enterprise business out of that. You know, and I, I told the board this, I'm like, I mean, I can go and read every, you know, enterprise business book like that that's just that's not who i am like i'm the product tinkerer ceo like i'm still a value to the company i'm still going to stay here i'm going to be number one cheerleader uh, i'll run the r&d lab but you need someone that like gets up every morning and they're like you know what i love i love enterprise data that's the person that needs to be the ceo and that's the person we found to be the ceo at that time and that, that was you know that was that was the right move you know the, the board is like founder led uh, i'm sorry well, yeah, founder-led companies, founder CEOs are the best CEOs. And I'm like, I get it, right? And I, I totally subscribe to that. But there, there are moments in, in uh, a company's life where like, listen, you just need someone else to come in and, and, and take the ship in a different direction. And that, you know, that's what Foursquare needed at, the, at that time. And it was a really yeah. hard decision, but like the right decision. Yeah. yeah, Dennis, and I agree with you there. I think that you know, there are the right leaders for the right time, you know, not just from a business standpoint, from a, you know, state, city, government, nonprofit, you know, hospital, whoever's running those, right? There's always the right leader for the right time. You know, at times a school may need a fundraising person that's going to go out there and be that face. Sometimes they need the person that's going to develop new programming. Sometimes they need the person that's going to be great at bringing talent to the school, a marketing, right? So there's the right leader for the right time. I'm curious from a founder's perspective like yourself, how was it like or how was it like for you dealing with a board who didn't start this company, right? Like they are advisors, they are, you know, intellectuals, I'm sure, and leaders in their own right, but they didn't start this company. They didn't have that original vision that you had. What is it like dealing with a board like that? Yeah, well, I mean, I think most boards are like that. Most boards are yeah, you know, yeah. You get a bunch of people that didn't, that, you know, have never worked at the company, have ne- never, maybe never even started a company, and certainly didn't start that company. You know, um, you know, even though my my title, like on my business card, used to say founder and CEO, like there was really another title, which is chairman of the board. And as the chairman of the board, your job is to manage the board. Right. And so you you control the 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 cadence and the topics of the of the board meeting and like, you know, what what you want the board to help on and what you want the board to stay out of. Uh, and like, what, what do you want to discuss? What do you not want to discuss? And, you know, board management is a is a real part of the CEO job. Like I even though I'm not CEO of the company, I'm still chairman of the board. Um, and, you know, that's that's a role like I. I in all honesty, I, I don't I don't play that role as uh, as well as I should. Not for a later stage company, right? It's actually me and uh, Gil, who's a co-founder of Factual. We're both like co-chairs of the board, so the two of us working together, I think, are doing an, doing an okay job with that. Um, but you know, like first quarter is a big, you know, big big company, big revenue, lots of people like could eventually IPO someday. Like who, who knows? Right. And so that's like a interesting place to sit on the board at. And thankfully we have lots of talented board members that have seen other companies at, at, at this stage. Like they've seen companies going through this transition process where they go from, you know, unprofitable to profitable to it's like, okay, profitable. Now what? what's the next thing that we're going to do? And, you know, that's a whole different stage. And, and I, I have some things to add to it, but I also I kind of sit back and, and kind of watch it unfold. Just to sort of wrap this up, um, I know you mentioned like you have no idea what the next step would be for you if you were to move on and do something different, right? But I'm curious if you were just kind of getting started today, knowing what you know now, um, what are, what is something that you're like really excited about seeing? Perhaps it's some sort of emerging technology or uh you know, something from like an innovation standpoint, like what are you really looking forward to, in the, you know, seeing in the next few years, I guess? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Like this is, maybe this is just like me being a, an old disgruntled 
guy, but like, there's not a ton of stuff that really, really gets me super excited. Right. Like I saw my cousin, my cousin, not my cousin, my, um, um, my godson this weekend. Right. And he's like, what, 11 years old or something. And he, he spends a lot of time in Oculus. Right. And he spends, and he's telling me about it. And I'm like, I know that doesn't seem healthy, but it probably doesn't seem healthy in the same way that like I spent a lot of time playing Nintendo. Right. And, but, and, and I'm just trying to like wrap my head around that stuff. And, and it's the same thing with, with augmented reality, right? Like I, I kind of love the vision of it, but like, I don't, I don't want to be, I kind of don't want to be the guy that has the glasses on that sees the magical dragons popping out. And I'm, like, I'm fine with the real world. Right. I'm like, am I just old? Am I just like really out of, out of touch? Like, and I was talking to my wife about this. Like, what, what are our kids going to be like? Like are our kids going to be like, Dad, I can't believe that you can't see the magical giraffes walking around the living room. You're so lame that you don't want to see the magical giraffes. And I just, I, I, I can't, I can't quite see. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I just, I, my, I'm, I'm just not there yet. So, what, what are the things I like? I like software that brings people together. Right. Post pandemic, like I have an itch to like use the type of tools that we built in the past. Like, where are my friends? I don't want to make plans. I want to serendipitously run into people. I want to know where people are. Like. You know, there's there's tons of tools to do that now, which is which is great. Um, you know, I was talking about we're working on that um, that, that soccer thing that spins up um, pick up soccer games, right? Playing those games twice a week makes it super easy. I don't have to do anything. I just show up, and play. Like that's great. I love that. Um, so I, I I don't really know. You know, like, there's lots of technologies I like. I'm super interested in like self driving cars, right? But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do a self driving car thing. I would never drive a car that I worked on. No way. Uh, you know, like some piece of software that I wrote drive me and my kids around. No way. Absolutely not. Um, so I, I I really I really don't know. But uh, I, I am you know the stuff that made dodgeball and foursquare interesting, which is like make software that's fun, make software that's like um, unexpectedly playful, unexpectedly flirty unexpectedly serendipitous right that that stuff i i like and i will i think i'll i will always come back to that like software that just like you know the classic surprise and delight thing but like you know actually actually make some surprise and delight not not like likes and comments and all this shit like actually surprise me like delight me do do the thing you know so i don't know what it is but we'll we'll figure it out it sounds like you like products that are real and in real life and being in reality, right? Like, you know, based on what I heard just now on your thoughts on VR and AR and whatnot, those are things that are beyond our real world, right? Which are fantastic. I mean, I think it's it's great for imagination. It's great, great for gaming, things of that nature. But when it comes down to it, and I think it's something that, again, it's, it's more so a value. People might disagree with, and I agree with you, by the way, on those things that you said. But you know, I like being in the moment. I like being an authentic person. Just this is who I am. This is what you're going to get. I like the real world. I like people in the real world. I like connecting in the real world. Everything else is just kind of a bonus. But to your point yeah. about, you know, your kids and the dragons and giraffes flying around in the living room, I do think that, you know, this next generation, you know, I think, what is it, Z right now? I think after them, it's called Alpha. If I'm not, I was just looking this up yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Uh, generation alpha but and i think they're already born now part of them you know if that's what they like if ar vr nfts crypto are the technologies that they adapt naturally just based on numbers those are going to become the quote-unquote norm and it's not that you and i and others are getting old and have a different way of thinking it's just it is what it is i mean you know we use the internet we use foursquare we use social media everybody that's behind us is going to use some other thing. And that's just going to be the norm. And I think that that's a healthy thing. You know, I think it just is. I think you could. Yeah. Well, no, it, it's not, it is what it is. It's like, we're, we're getting old and we, we cannot <laughs> empathize. With those that also is what it is. I mean, we're just getting old. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, like the, the Nintendo thing, like I'm, I, I remember my parents as being like, you know, you can't, you, you can't be sitting inside playing Zelda all day. And it's like, well, you know, and, and the version of that from today is like, I'm just sitting on my couch reading Twitter all day. And it's my godson. I'm just sitting on the couch on Oculus all day with my kids. It might be like, I have my, 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 my magic leap glasses on all day, 
you know, it's, it's, it's the same, same shit, just different, different, yeah. more advanced technology. And it will, totally. yeah, that generation will find ways to live with that technology. Even if we look at it and we're like, this is incredibly obtrusive. Like kids will just grow up with it. Like, do you, right. can you remember when people would first have, like start texting at dinner and you're like, what are you doing? We're sitting here at dinner. And, 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 oh, yeah. and now like you can go to dinner and everyone just sits there and doesn't do anything. Like, it was obtrusive. Now it's just normal. It's just the way it's it is. It's almost like, why aren't you texting at dinner now? It's like, what do you? What kind yeah, of weirdo yeah. are you? <laughs> like, oh, I'll never get a cell phone. I don't. I don't want to be reached. I just don't want to be reached. And and like that was like a. It's like, hey, I kind of empathize with that. And now you're like, what are you bananas? Absolutely not. Of course you want to be reached. It's just like you're you're you know the tolerance for what people will do. And and I have no doubt about it that like, you know, by the time my kids are you know probably like in middle middle school, right? They got glasses on where they see stuff that doesn't exist and they're, they're able to, you know, telepathically, you know, send text messages through Facebook messenger just by, you know, moving their fingers. Right. You've seen those demos of those things. And that, that, that's a, that's a, that's changes everything in a way that, but I will say, Dennis, you know, but for that Harry Potter map, you know, you might've not created Foursquare, right? I mean, that imagination and that pretend, or fake map thing in that movie inspired your, in some way, you know, activated your imagination, your thoughts and your ideas. And you created something like that in real life, right? Hopefully, you know, people don't create real life dragons, but you know, that might be the case. You know, like I think that these technologies will help children and even adults think a different way, which I think is super, super awesome. Right. It, It forces you to think outside of what you think like even nfts for example i think is just so stupid if you ask me right on the on on the on the surface but when you think about it and you think about why people like it and why people are invested in it i start understanding it it starts you know things start making sense and i think over time you know they either normalize or things are built around them that help it normalize i mean at first it was probably weird that people carried around cell phones now businesses are done you know, and run on this thing, right? Like yeah, your whole yeah. world is run on this thing. So, you know, I just see it as a way that it's, it's like, it gets you thinking, which I think is a great thing. And hopefully people are inspired by these new and emerging technologies. And they take your example of building Foursquare and, um, you know, and how that's lived so long, like the longevity, right? I think that's a huge thing that people don't talk about specifically in tech or business in general is like how long this business of yours has survived. I mean, like, Usually it's like, you know, five, six years you get, you know, acquired and on to the next. Like, I do think that there's a lot of value in the longevity of a business and being able to be adaptable and change and, you know, move with the current times. And clearly, you know, you've been able to do an excellent job at that. So uh, major props to you on that. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's like, you know, just, just one, one more thing on that topic. Like when we... When we were doing dodgeball as as grad students, twenty five year old grad students, right? Like using the mobile phone for for data was like a radical new idea, and people are like, people won't do that. People aren't going to text, you know. Like dodgeball was like, no, no, you don't even send a text message to a person. You send a text message to a robot, and then the robot sends it back out to people, and people are like, what the hell are you talking about, right? Um, and you know, we but we were like, we were cutting edge because we mobile phones were the the tools that like we I don't say we grew up with but like we were right on the edge of that right we had the tools we could buy the tools and we knew how to build for the tools and that's what like that you know the, the future is going to belong to the kids that are like listen I grew up in VR I grew up playing Pokemon Go I grew up with with AR Pokemon I, I you know like that and that's super exciting I grew up with NBA Top Shots you know um, I grew up you know, immersed in, you know, open world, every video game was open world. Right. And so like what, what that generation of people will invent next is just, it's going to be crazy and awesome. And I think it's, it's almost like, it's almost a given that I may never even understand it. (laughs) It's just like, you know, it's it's exciting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which it's fun. It's fun. Just look at where we were like 10, 15, 20 years ago and where we are now. It's like so much can change in such a short amount of time in the grand scheme of things. But yeah. anyways, Dennis, this has been super, super fun. We can't thank you enough for, you know, you taking the time to hang out with us and sharing your story and wisdom. And, um, you know, we're, we're super uh, excited to see what you do next, uh, whatever it might be. And 
yeah, this has been great. Yeah, super fun. Uh, thanks for thanks for the trip down memory lane. It's been a long time since we I, <laughs> I, I unearthed a lot of these memories. So I appreciate it. It's-